everybody, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are tackling 1993's The Piano. A mute woman is sent to 1850s New Zealand along with her young daughter and prized piano for an arranged marriage to a wealthy landowner, but is soon lusted after by a local worker on the plantation. Okay, so I remember this movie being talked about a lot in 93. So I was definitely too young to have seen it. But I remember it being talked about heavily. And I remember people being very scandalized by the full frontal male nudity. And then, of course, there was all the talking about Anna Paquin being nominated. She's 11. So I knew of this movie Mm -hmm. in the years past. In 93, I was seven. I was still not seeing PG-13 movies at this point. My first PG-13 movie was The Mask, Mm -hmm. which is depressing. So I was still basically seeing kids' movies at this point and had no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. I think Jurassic Park might have been the only other touchstone from this year. Like, I looked at some just stuff when I was trying to be like, what other movies came out this year? I was like, holy crap, this was a big year. Yeah, so this is also Schindler's List. Uh, Schindler's List, Philadelphia came out this year. Yeah, this is a big year. And so, of course, we're doing this movie because it not only won a Best Actress Oscar, it won the Best Supporting Actress, too. So this is a twofer for us. But even more importantly for me, this movie is so different and interesting and beautiful. Mm -hmm. I really love this movie. I'm so happy. I got one that (laughs) David loves. Yay! Okay, so this had a $7 million budget. It made $40 million, which is not bad. It was written and directed by Jane Campion. She's from New Zealand. It was filmed in New Zealand. It takes place in New Zealand. Much of the cast is from New Zealand. Especially all the Maori cast. A lot of them are Maori. So there's a ton of people in this cast that we've never seen before. Some we have continued on. Some have not. But we've we've got, you know, our foreign main people to focus on. But the writing, the writing. Before this, Jane Campion had done a couple shorts. She'd done Sweetie. And then after this, she went on to do Holy Smoke in the Cut 8, Bright Star. And she is the creator and writer of Top of the Lake. And so she's also directed most of those as well. She's definitely one of those, I wrote it, so I'm directing it type of people. She is an auteur, and it clearly comes through in the choices that she Mm -hmm. makes. I'll get into it a lot with her directing, Mm -hmm. but just starting off with the writing itself, I don't think the writing is the star of this movie, but that's not a bad thing. It's a very sparse script, especially because our lead character is mute. Correct. There's narration. Holly Hunter was credited three times in this movie. because uh, she is providing that narration. But there, there's not a lot in there. And there doesn't need to be. No, because so much of this film is what you see and what you hear. But it's not the words you hear. It's the music. You have to factor in that this screenplay had to have that those images laid out in some bare form on what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Which means... You know, when you have writer-directors, sometimes it's very clear the difference Mm -hmm. when it is just a straight-up movie. Mm -hmm. But when it's an auteur like this, when we're looking at somebody who's got this holistic vision, Mm -hmm. it's real hard to separate the one from the other. Mm -hmm. 
And to me, it's even harder because like we say, we don't have a whole lot of written words to go off of. No. Everything is done through the relationship, the subtext, and the image that we're given on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just say, I think it's a fine script. Yeah. But the really amazing part of this is her directing. Well, because there's so much that's just exposition, but it's not useless. Like, there's so much where nobody's really talking, but we're seeing so much happening. Like, her traveling back to the piano, spending that entire day on the beach, playing the piano, never stopping, and we just watched Flora play. I mean, not only is it just like, this is the most amazing thing, like, this is their happiness, but also, it's one of the most beautiful things in the entire movie. Oh, yeah. Is watching her do those cartwheels on the beach. It's beautiful. And there are so many hard turns Mm -hmm. in different directions that this movie takes Mm -hmm. and you get sucked right along through it. Mm -hmm. And this is a two hour movie and it doesn't really feel that long. No, I mean, you go from a very sort of wistful leaving home Mm -hmm. movie to then this fish out of water story Mm -hmm. to then this very strange bargain that's been struck and dark but very sensual romance Mm -hmm. that then goes way dark and then turns around to inspirational at the end yes and it just keeps making these curves yes but the beauty of what she does as a director Mm -hmm. is number one she smooths out those rough edges so you never feel like you're jarred at any point. Mm-hmm. You're still firmly with the story the whole way through. It, you feel like you're being guided along very gently through it. Yes. But also, goddamn, this movie is told almost entirely through the female gaze. Yep. And it's one of the most amazing things to watch ever. Yeah. The scenes with Harvey Keitel... You, you flirt right up with the, is this creepy? Is this creepy? Is this creepy? And I love that every time he's pushing Ada, she like has the agency. Like she stops it. She's just like, nope, this is too far. Nope, nope. I'm going to get what I want from this. Yeah. And so it's a really, it's, it is a somewhat creepy bargain, but she has something he wants. He has something that she wants. This is the bargain that they've struck. Part of the reason that it works Mm -hmm. is because at no point is it told through his character. Nope. It is told through hers. Yep. And all this made me go is like, all I want to watch are female directed movies because holy shit, the story is told so much better than if a dude had been at the helm of this. Agreed. If a man had directed this movie. A man could not have pulled this shit off. You would have been so thrown off. You'd have walked out of the theater in 30 minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. The only reason that we're able to pull this off and have such wide acclaim as we did is she perfectly makes it viewable. And like I said, it it guides you through the story without you ever feeling like you're going off the rails. This is first and foremost throughout the entire film. It's Ada's story with Flora. Perfect. Oh, yeah. No, it's amazing. Jane Campion became the first woman to win the prestigious Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival for this film. Makes sense. This is this is very much a con winner type oh, film. Yes. Very artsy, painful, but gorgeous and also sensual. Yeah, this is a con film. This is a very <laughs> this is a very European style film. Yeah. 
with a wicked sense of humor, too. It does. It's a little cheeky in there, and I love it. Yeah. I love some cheeky sense of humor. All right, let's go to our cast. The amazing, beautiful, gorgeous, super talented Holly Hunter as Ada. We've talked about her in our very first episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What with Raising Arizona. Of course, she's that before. She's been in a billion things. This same year, she was in The Firm. She went on to do Home for the Holidays, Crash, A Brother Where Art Thou. She's in Incredibles 1 and 2. She was on the TV series Saving Grace. And then she was in last year's The Big Sick. I've never seen her more beautiful than in this movie. She's gorgeous. I mean, she's always gorgeous. But she looks like a Renaissance painting almost. So often, the characters she are portraying, because of her accent, mm-hmm. are usually Southern. So they've always kind of frumped her down a little bit. She's, she's definitely made up here to be just beautiful. And plain, it's, but beautiful. It's so stunning to watch to be like, oh, that's right. You're a movie star. And we forget that when we see you just diving into these characters all the time. Well, here's here's what I find the most fascinating, the most interesting thing. I don't know if it was her choice or the director's choice, but... When she is just walking through life and doing her thing, she's very flat, except for when she's communicating with Flora. But when she's playing her piano, that's when all of the emotions come out. All of the expression, that's when we see it. And we also see it as the movie progresses. As as she becomes more comfortable with the Harvey Keitel character, Bane's that's where we see it. Otherwise, she's just very flat with everybody else, which makes sense. And a little pissed off. It's mm-hmm. really funny to see her angry signing. Oh, I love that she just ripped off her wedding portrait outfit. And they're all just like, what? She's like an animal. Mm-hmm. She's just so freaking good in this movie. It's undeniable mm-hmm. what a stellar performance she's giving because even in those reserved moments, there's so much going on in her face and her eyes. Mm-hmm. There's so much she's performing. And then when we get to that, that climactic, awful scene, uh-huh. just all of the horror no, and I, desperation in her face. I love, okay, so he chops off her finger. right. And she just stumbles and then she just falls. She never screams because you think that's going to be when we hear her scream. No. But there's nothing. And she just sinks. I love it. It's so beautiful. And also, that's what women do. That's what it is. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I just have to keep going. Like, I just like, I can't focus on this. Like, that is fucking women. It's nuts. I love it. It's beautiful. Every choice she made felt so purposeful mm-hmm. to this character. Yeah. Which is so rare to see in what sometimes are very Oscar Beatty movies. Yes. This could be an Oscar Beatty movie, but she makes such deliberate choices mm-hmm. that it transcends that. And it's beautiful for it. Mm-hmm. Holly Hunter had to learn how to play the piano to prepare for her role and she played most of the piano sequences herself. Like I said previously, Holly Hunter received three on-screen credits for the film. First for playing Ada, then for playing the piano herself, and then for being the British Sign Language interpreter for Anna Paquin. (laughs) So those are her three on-screen credits. Holly Hunter received 14 awards for this role. 15 nominations. She won 14 of them. She it's, she swept she swept it. She it's a perfect home. performance. I, I can't I can't argue with that. 
Would you like some Who Could Have Been Betters? Oh boy, I don't know. It's not a bad, it's not a bad list. Okay. Before deciding on Holly Hunter, Jane Campion met with several actresses in England, France, and the U.S. Among those considered were Sigourney Weaver, Angelica Houston, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Isabel Hubert, Juliette Binoche, and Madeline Stowe. There's only one in that list that I might consider, and that's Juliette Binoche. I would give pause to Angelica Houston. No. I would. Angelica Houston. I, I want to see the audition. I mean, that, it, that's what I'm curious about. It's true. But judging on what Holly Hunter did with the role, mm-hmm. the only other actress that I feel has that sa- just that same vibe and feeling would be Binoche. Angelica Houston to me is too tall, lanky, model-like to, mm-hmm. to pull off Ada convincingly for me. But also, who fucking cares? Holly Hunter killed it. Holly Hunter, hands down, she wins. Right, next we have Harvey Keitel as Baines. Before this, he was in Mean Streets. We talked about him a lot in Taxi Driver. He was in Thelma and Louise, Sister Act. And then, of course, he went on to do Pulp Fiction, National Treasure, Book of Secrets, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs. And he has a ton of stuff coming out this year, including uh, The Irishman with Martin Scorsese. Yeah, this was was the middle of his real second wave career. Because he... He had Bad Lieutenant before this, which mm-hmm. was a big critical deal for him. It, mm-hmm. it didn't make mainstream awards because it was a dark, violent sex mm-hmm. drug movie. But this was also in square in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most interesting nuanced performances I've seen him give. It's so good. And he does ride that line of being creepy. But he just gets right up next to it, but not quite. I think... That they they stopped it before it escalated anymore, and that's when you know when he gives away the piano, like that makes sense because for him it no longer is just like I I want you to love me on your own because he's lonely. He always seems like a man who just it has fallen completely in lust for this woman, mm-hmm. and it's not that he will possess her mm-hmm. in a power grab way. But it's just, you are so beautiful. And when you walk in the room, I cannot control myself. Well, there's that. But he's also, I mean, he's just kind of like, you want me to take you to the piano? Okay. But he's watching her this whole time. And he's seeing who this woman really is. This woman who does not speak who this woman is when she plays the piano. He wants that. And that's as soon as, that's when he does fall in love with her. So it is this thing of, it's not a body thing. It is a total immediate falling in love that's how it feels and i think like the whole piano lesson thing started as like i want that i want to get that when she's in teaching mode that he's not going to experience that but he's like become instantly addicted to that talent and that that vibrant person who comes out while she's playing yeah that's it he wants her and at every moment he wants all Mm -hmm. of her that's what makes it so much more interesting yeah, so Harvey Keitel, good job. Lovely. He did. He did a great job. And not bad. At 53 years old, he looked pretty good. Yeah, he like he has a very decent butt. Mm-hmm. Crazy ass hair, but you know. Yeah, that's Harvey Keitel. Crazy <laughs> ass hair is kind of on par. I liked the uh, tattoos they put on his nose. He was good. He's a real interesting character and subtle, which is not exactly his forte all the time. Correct. So Subtle is not usually him. Next, we have Sam Neill as Steward. Uh, before this, he was in a bajillion and five things. You'd probably most likely know The Hunt for Red October, Death in Brunswick, Jurassic Park. After this, he did Sirens, The Jungle Book, The Horse Whisperer, 
the Merlin TV show, which I remember being super obsessed with. He was in Bicentennial Man, Jurassic Park 3, The Zookeeper, The Tudors television series, Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul, <laughs> and more recently, The Commuter. And also, maybe one of our most famous New Zealand exports. He's amazing. He's, he's just that desperate man. He's desperate. He's lonely. He's got this wife and he's like, all right. Then you've got like, he's trying to get all this land. He's a colonizer. <laughs> he's desperate to have the life that is intended for him. Correct. At no point does he ever seem to care about Ada so much as he cares about, I need her to have affection for me because this marriage needs to present correctly to the outside world. I think he does care about her in that he does not want her to be miserable. No. He does want her to show him affection and, and he would like to show her affection too. He is rel- He is pretty respectful of all of that. At I, first. I, I said at first. He's pretty, you know, <laughs> like he's like, I get it. We don't know each other. In many, many pieces of media, we've seen how that is not approached at all. No. So for a, for a good while, he's tolerant of her just outright hatred towards him. And he plays nice with Flora. He does. Well, he and Flora kind of team up in some ways. Well, like, Flora gets smart enough. Like, I remember at the beginning, she's like, I'm not going to call him Papa. And then she's like, but Papa! Flora's smart. She's like, I don't know how this works. He's the, he's in charge. Yeah. Samuel's great. <laughs> he is great. He's, he's very good in playing what could be a really awkward character for an actor. Yes. He's very convincing in all of those moments. Yes. Next, we have Anna Paquin as Flora. Before this, she has two credits, Madame X and Castle in the Sky. And of course, this broke her. Uh, we've talked about her a little bit in our She's All That episode, of course, after this movie. She 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 didn't do a whole lot, but then she went on to do Fly Away Home, She's All That, X-Men, Almost Famous. She was in Scream 4, which we talked about on one of our Patreon episodes. Of course, she was the lead in the True Blood series. She's also been on The Affair and she will also be in Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. And she's in development on a TV show called The Flack or Flack. I don't know too much about it, but she's clearly the lead. Yeah, I didn't know anything about her until she was rogue. Like that was when I was like, oh, this is an interesting person. Uh, she seems like a cool new actor. She had done some things in New Zealand, but this is considered her film debut. Mm-hmm. Um, at the age of nine, she beat out 5,000 other girls who sent in audition videotapes for the role of Flora. And she did win this Oscar. I remember watching this because she won her Oscar. She gave her tiny little speech. And then instead of going backstage, she ran back to her seat. Yeah. And I can distinctly remember my brother and I watching this. And he goes, I'm going back to my seat. <laughs> like, I can hear his voice in my head whenever I think about that moment, which is so weird for that to have stuck out to me. But she was wearing this bejeweled hat. It's so 94. It's oh, they've got pictures out there of it. It's... It is precious. She's so good. She is. And she's... she's so important to the story. Yeah, she's just appropriately obnoxious but also just whimsical and oblivious to some of the deep emotions that are happening, but at the same time, so in tune to her mother. Oh, yes. Because she is her mother's mouthpiece. Oh, my God. The second that she runs over to Baines to, sh- mm-hmm. to show her the fingers. Yeah. It was bawling. Well, and then, and then you know, Baines is like, I'll kill him. She goes, no, if you go, he'll kill her. Because she, she doesn't have a dad. Mm-mm. And she can't afford, and now she knows instantly 
you've ruined my mother's life if you've taken away her finger. And like, I can't afford to lose anymore my mom. You're the dad. You're the one in charge. And yep. she's doing something that's not right. And then suddenly that outburst turns her and goes, oh, God, I went against my mom. Yeah. And it just crushes her. Yeah. She thinks it's her fault at that point. It, she is this total innocent throughout mm-hmm. the movie that very much pushes the story mm-hmm. along. But also gives this wonderful, it's it's an audience surrogate mm-hmm. for us to dive in and in some ways relax into the imagery that we're seeing. Because otherwise we could really dissect it too she's much. She's also lovely comic relief because she's just lying to all the people around her <laughs> about who her father is. We never actually know who her father is. We don't know for sure. And we don't um, need to. It doesn't matter. She has, she has like, she's here. That's That's it. But like you can tell how much she's lying to these adults about what's going on because her mom's not going to correct her. No. <laughs> and she's just enjoying it. And it's precious. It is so cute. Um, she's just lovely. Yeah, that's that's most of our cast. Uh, I'm going to read off a couple names that I know are the bigger ones, but I'm not going to get into their credits. We've got Carrie Walker as Aunt Morag, Genevieve Lemon as Nessie, Tuninga Baker as Hira. Ian Munn as the Reverend, Peter Dennett as the head seaman. And then we've got two people who are kind of more well known now, but this was their film debut. We've got Cliff Curtis. He plays Mana, but he went on to be in Whale Rider. And then he's been in Training Day, Die Hard 4. He's on TV. He is like a big deal. But then also Rose MacGyver. Uh, She is one of the little girls in the play. She is the lead in iZombie. Uh-huh. And The Christmas Prince. Oh, yes. Which I didn't even remember and then looked at that and was like, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that was a terrible movie. But fun terrible? Kind of? Like, we knew what we... Like, we were appropriately calibrated to watch a bad holiday rom-com. Netflix is hitting that sweet spot real good right now. Yeah. Hey, everybody wants it. Everybody wants the return of the rom-com. And I am here for it. I am provided you give a little bit of effort. I want I want some effort. I want some good humor, plausible storylines. And I want not two white straight people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. what I want. But yeah, I'm here for more rom-coms. Now let's get into trivia. Trivia. Of course, this was filmed in New Zealand. Like, I, don't, I don't even know why I have what? to like, say that, but it's, yes, good, it Good was. trivia. Good trivia. So we never learn who Flora's illegitimate father is in the film, but in the novelization of the film that Campion wrote, it was Ada's former piano teacher. Uh... Which makes sense. That's uh, a little too on the nose. I'm glad we didn't say I'm that in the film. I'm glad it's just left out. In July 2013, Campion re- revealed that she originally intended for Ada to drown in sea after going overboard with the piano. I thought that's where I, we were going to end. I, I remember the actual ending, but I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Like, But it, it makes total sense. Like, I have to die with this piano. But it also makes sense for her to be like... This piano is a part is a is from a part of my life that needs to die. Like it needs I need to be set free of it. I like the final choice that we made. Yes. Of thinking I need to die. Yes. And then suddenly realizing no, I was right all along. It needs to die. It needs to be a coffin and I need to have a new life. Hmm. The play performed in the movie is an adaptation of Bluebeard, which is a French fairy tale. 
about a man who marries and then kills his wives after they fail a test. And then he stashes their bodies in a small chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he gets married again. In the original story, the main character escapes her psychopathic husband and then finds happiness elsewhere. It's a nice little bit of foreshadowing. Like, not directly, but just a smidge. The theme tune is called The Heart Asks Permission First on the soundtrack, which is beautiful. Oh, the score is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And this is the last movie Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain watched before he died. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we're going to get into the awards. The reason why we're doing this. Hey. This is the only Best Picture Oscar nominee of the year to also be nominated for Original Screenplay. Cool. Jane Campion became the first woman to be Oscar nominated for Best Director of a Best Picture nominee after Lena Wurtmuller for Seven Beauties in 1975. She was the first. So then it took that much longer to get to Jane Campion. Almost 20 years later. That's bullshit. If you want the stats on the lady directors, there's only been five nominated. We're about to hit year 91 and we still only have five female best director nominations so we've got lena wurtzmuller in 1975 we've got jane campion in 1993 then we have sofia coppola for lost in translation in 2003 Catherine bigelow for the hurt locker in 2008 which she won yes and then greta gerwig for ladybird in 2017 last year's i mean I'm, when we get to the best pictures win. this year i'm gonna I'm, I'm i'm gonna be like well there was some very tough competition correct but there's so many really good female directors out there. It's, it's a shame that more have not gotten recognized. Agreed. I think mostly because they've been relegated to smaller films that don't really make the Academy's radar. Correct. Cinematographer Stuart Dreibarg was the only man to receive an Oscar nomination for his work in this film. All the other nominations were given to women. We've got the screenwriter and director, Jane Campion, producer, Jan Chapman, costume designer, Janet Patterson, editor, Veronica Jeanette, and actresses, Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin. So this is weird. This is a rare thing. I love He's it. He's the only dude. Again, I that's Which, what again, makes this movie perfect. so good. Also, his cinematography is so fucking it, gorgeous. It is beautiful. I mean, he, he did a fabulous job. They must have had such a good working relationship mm-hmm. that he knew exactly what image she wanted mm-hmm. and was able to get that shot the exact right way. Mm. And uses this wonderful dark filter throughout the movie that just really works for the story they're telling. All right, well, so let's go over who our competition was. Yes. So for Best Actress in a Leading Role, we know Holly Hunter won. Yeah. But she was up against Deborah Winger for Shadowlands, Stockard Channing for Six Degrees of Separation, Emma Thompson for Remains of the Day, and Angela Bassett for What's Love Got to Do With It. So I haven't seen any of those movies. Oh, okay. Um, I've seen uh, Remains of the Day and What's Love Got to Do With It. I mean, there's Merchant Ivory, mm-hmm. and then there's, there's Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. So... I, Holly Hunter's fucking perfect. I don't know how you give this award. You would have to show me something equally as perfect as that. Agreed. Okay, so then our next one, uh, we have two repeat nominees in here. We've got Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Anna Paquin won. But she was up against Rosie Perez for Fearless, Emma Thompson for In the Name of the Father, Holly Hunter for The Firm, and Winona Ryder for Age of Innocence. So both Holly Hunter and Emma Thompson were up against each other in two categories this year. Yeah. That's fucked up and amazing. 
Also never. Well, I've seen The Firm. I have seen The Firm. I don't feel like The Firm is like an Oscar caliber movie. It's a horrible adaptation to a really amazing book. Uh, I have never read the book. (gasps) I also, but I, I didn't think the movie was bad. It's not bad. I thought it was like a good cable movie. It's just not an Oscar caliber movie. No, not at all. But I've never seen Age of Innocence, nor have I seen In the Name of the Father. But Anna Paquin's really good. I don't know. I would have to see the others to be like, do they eclipse how important and how central this 11-year-old featured in this film? And I think that's where, like, I know a lot of people will say, well, it's the novelty of her being so young. But it's also, look at the character. Let's If we look at the characters first, how amazing these characters are. And then we look at the the performance that had to have been done in order to make to keep that character so amazing. Yeah. Screw Flora has to, It's this one. She might be 10. I think she might have been 11, actually. She had to carry so much weight of the story with her yeah. that it's so rare to have a preteen be able mm-hmm. to do that on film. It's one of the reasons why we talked about, and I know he was in his 20s, mm-hmm. but Noah Taylor in yeah. Shine yeah. should have been nominated. It has to ma- and and Anna Paquin had to match Holly Hunter. Yes. Holly Hunter doing all the work she's doing. Anna Paquin has to do that too, but in a completely different way as a child, as a child in the movie. Like yeah. it's nuts. It's great. I love it. And I've, and I think I that's where it goes beyond novelty and into she did hard hard mm-hmm. work. She did. Next we have the best writing for a screenplay written directly for the screen, so original screenplay. Mm-hmm. That's what we call it now. Jane Campion won. Yay! Good. But she was up against Gary Ross for Dave, Jeff McGuire for In the Line of Fire, Ron Nyswanner for Philadelphia, and Nora Ephron, David S. Ward, and Jeff Arch for Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. I might give Philadelphia an actual edge on this. I would too. Now, the but, problem... But this is the year that Tom Hanks won for Philadelphia, so... The, the problem that we have here mm-hmm. is that people who read these screenplays for the Academy, the actual writers who are going to do it, are going to be looking at the full screenplay. What we see on screen doesn't have a lot of words, no, but we yeah. don't know what mm-hmm. she wrote out there. Correct. And how how integral that was to the story mm-hmm. she was telling. So I think there's this thing of if you went and read that screenplay, you'd probably be like, oh, it's all on this page. Mm-hmm. And you're going, yeah, no, this is gorgeous and beautiful and like a novel mm-hmm. that unfolds. That's if it. I, if That's I'm it. just going by experience, though, Philadelphia's dialogue is so good. It is. It is good. It got it. It's got its award with Tom Hanks. It did. It I just did. he is that movie. That's a good. That's a good slate, though. It's all right. So then we have the nom- where they got nominated, but we didn't take home a trophy for best picture. It was up against In the Name of the Father, Schindler's List, The Fugitive, and The Remains of the Day. Schindler's List won. Clearly. Yeah. Best Director. She was up against Jim Sheridan for In the Name of the Father, Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List, Robert Altman for Shortcuts, and James Ivory, Remains of the Day. That's a fucking packed that list. Is, that is a hard, hard list. I And that was Spielberg's magnum opus. I, like, nobody was denying him that one. No. That, he was taking that home. Yeah. Best Cinematography, up against Farewell, My Concubine, Schindler's List, Searching for Bobby Fischer and the Fugitive, Schindler's, Schindler's List. List. Best Costume Design, up against Orlando, Schindler's List, The Age of Innocence, and Remains of the Day. This one went to Age of Innocence. This is a lot of historical costuming. So this one was also very hard. And I'm curious 
I think the gender bending might have freaked too many people out with Orlando, but that's one where I'm like, Ooh, I think the costuming here would be so amazing. That That's where you get into that mm-hmm. fantasy thought there with the period costumes. And last but never least, the best film editing was up against In the Line of Fire, Schindler's List, The Fugitive, and In the Name of the Father, Schindler's List 1. All right, so it's down to our ratings, and it's mine, so I'm going to go first. And our rating skills going to be how many keys... How many keys are we going to give it? Because it's just so perfect. Mm-hmm. <sighs> this is a five for me. I'm like, my gut reaction is like, give it a five. And then I'm like, do, do I want to give it a five? Maybe a 4.5. I was like, what am I going to critique? What would I make better? Nothing. I wouldn't add more sex. I wouldn't take away some sex. I wouldn't add performances. I, I wouldn't give more to a character. I mean... It's a five. It's fuck. It's five. I hate giving fives, but it's a five. This is a five star film. <gasps> I got David to give a five. It's a five star film. I win. I win. I win everything. The only reason that you could possibly go like a four and a half, maybe, uh-huh. is that you find it problematic. And there are some people who are going to see this movie and will feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that. Okay. It rides that line so far that I feel like some people are going to be too creeped out by it i don't Mm -hmm. it absorbs you from the moment you start watching and because of that because of the way it's shot Mm -hmm. the way the story is told the deliberate pace of it Mm -hmm. and all of these specific choices that are telling this very female-centric story it all comes together to just be this perfect story that that you get to watch unfold. Mm-hmm. It's like reading a good book. Yep. And that's for a movie to give you that feeling as you're watching it is just so rare. Oh, I completely agree. And transformative that it needs it needs a five. Mm-hmm. This is a five from us. Yeah. We're stingy with our fives. <sighs> Such a good movie. I'm, I'm, I was so happy I finally got to watch it. I'm... Like, it's been one that I was like, well, I need to see this movie. And now I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking glad I watched this movie. Well, I'm I think, so happy I did. Well, that's how I felt about Shine. And I think that's like my favorite thing about this podcast that we do is that we have an excuse to force these things on each other. And sometimes it's like like my reaction to the apartment that we watched last year for the Oscars. I was just like, I love this movie. I keep thinking about it and it's bringing me joy. Or in the mood for love, which I was really worried about. And I didn't think I was. And then you went, no, it was really pretty good. And I was like, yes. Oh, thank God. When I made you watch The Sound of Music and I was just like, I know you hate musicals, but this one is really important to me. And it's so ingrained in like my being. If you hate it, we're going to have a problem. And the only thing I really hated was Rolf because he can die And that's okay because he's a horrible person. Yeah, Rolf can go die in a fire. Otherwise, no, it's great. There are movies that one of us has seen that the other has always had on their list to finally watch. Yeah. And some of them are complete duds. But when you find those gems, it's so fun and so thrilling to be like, yes, where has this been the entire time I've been seeing these same movies? Yeah. What's next? (laughs) Well, I feel like it's going to be kind of a downer after this amazing movie. But I'm going to make you watch Ghost. (laughs) It is an Oscar winner. Whoopi Goldberg won for Ghost. Yeah, y'all and get ready. Y'all get ready to flame me now because I've never seen Ghost. Yeah, like 
this one needs to happen. <laughs> like, we're getting into February. It's like the romantic month. Let's throw this one out here because it's a really fun story. It's Demi Moore. It's Patrick Swayze. It's classic Swayze. And this is amazing Whoopi Goldberg. So I'm super excited. I have not seen enough Patrick Swayze movies, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um, and it's kind of disappointing. What's the movie that came out when you were born that you have never seen? We will save that for my birthday. Okay. Oh, we're going to save it for your birthday. <laughs> this is going to be the best thing ever. I'm so excited. All right. So we went to the movie theater and we saw Green Book. A working class Italian American bouncer becomes the driver of an African American classical pianist on a tour of venues through the 1960s American South. A lot of feelings about this movie. <laughs> I had feelings about this movie well before anything came out about it. Yeah, I, I did too. Not a lot, but I was just like, this looks like garbage. And then I heard about the garbage statements that were made by its director and writer, Peter Fairley. And now it's garbage statements made by its star, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. So the only reason we saw this movie is because it is nominated for Best Picture. And it's nominated for five awards. And so we're just like, all right, we have to see it. We had to buy one, get one. So we're like, fine, we're going to give it the tiniest amount of money possible while not doing anything illegal. Oh boy, believe me, I was very, very pissed off about having to go see this, that the Academy yeah. mm -hmm. deemed it worthy mm -hmm. to put it on their fucking list. Okay, so let's talk about the, the good things in the movie, because <laughs> there are some good things in the movie. There are, I will give them credit. The performances are wonderful. There is good acting by its two stars, Vigo and Mahershala Ali, and Linda Cardellini. Yes. Their performances are lovely great and i hesitate my my biggest concern now is having heard vigo's comments i'm like so do you actually buy this bullshit i don't think mahershala ali does i think he's just putting in a good performance in this movie at this point i'm just looking at the the performance he can be a garbage human who doesn't deserve a nomination that's a different issue i'm looking at the performance right now gotcha okay it's a good performance they are they, I, I i can't deny that he, he is he's very good He's he's incredibly... And it's not something I've ever seen from him as a performer. So I enjoyed that. The one thing I'll say about Mahershala Ali is like, I've seen this from him several times. This is a variation on what we've seen, but it is but, very similar. But, I won't disregard but that. But barely so. I will say the few moments where he is humorous or he's reacting to a humorous situation are adorable and he desperately needs to be in a comedy. He would just light up the stage. That made it one is he's he is gorgeous. He's very talented and his facial expressions are so nuanced. He would do so well in a comedy. So I really hope that that is lined up for him somewhere. Someone needs to write him a movie. Especially after this just train wreck of an award season he's going to have to go through. Uh, it's ugh. I did like I felt that one of the things they did well with Vigo's character. I can't remember his name now. Tony Lip. Tony Lip were the microaggressions, the little things that show how clearly you do have that hate inside you. I really liked seeing that on the screen because we don't talk about those as much, like him throwing away the glasses that had been touched by the two gentlemen who came to service the sink or whatever it was. 
Like he just threw them away. Except that it's blunt force trauma driven into your skull. But it kept being t- these tiny things. Because we knew it was coming. They, they, they did it in the beginning of the movies. We knew it was coming. We knew he's going to take this job and then he's going to change. He's going to be the white dude who changes his feeling about black people. Oh, but it's far worse than that. I know that. But what I'm saying is he may not have said the big horrible things out of his mouth in the beginning. But he's doing things that show that he has those feelings, those microaggressions. I liked seeing that depicted on film. I would agree with with that general statement. I don't particularly appreciate the way they depicted it. That's my problem there. Well, that's because our writer and director is clearly a horrible person. And this movie was made to make old white racist people feel better about how the black people don't have to deal with this shit anymore. So they should just be happy. I am going to put an article I read from The Root that came out before any of the news controversy, Uh which we won't discuss here because that would take its own And that would just make us more angry. In talking about the multitude of ways that they failed this real story Mm -hmm. of the fact that it is told entirely through Tony's perspective and Tony's white gaze... That not only does Tony get to be the white savior who changes, but he also helps Dr. Shirley change, too, to be a better black person. Yeah. And then uh, they just did so much shit to fuck with. Like, they do this black oracle character. Uh-huh. And then they taint him with shit that shouldn't taint him as a human being instead of recognizing the fact that he is caught by himself. Like the problem that Shirley has is that no no community accepts him. Yep. He has no community because he doesn't fit in. And then they went and ruined that by making him go and play the piano in that in that bar. I was like, this feels so fucking disgusting. Yeah, because it is. Bad. It was bad. I hate it. I am like, I don't ever want to see another fucking movie about white people changing their mind about black people. I don't want to see it. It doesn't matter. It's not important. And it's not a story that needs to be told. No. And it's not the job of the African-American community to make white people think that they're valuable, that they deserve respect. What's incredibly frustrating to me is there are very human moments Mm -hmm. in the writing of this story that are really fun and interesting Mm -hmm. and unique. And if the whole story had been that... This would have been a very interesting fish out of water movie, right? Maybe if they had told it from Dr. Shirley's perspective, if we had focused on his story. Or, you know, like it, how even- did he become the man who lives above the Carnegie Hall? Why does he have elephant tusks in his apartment? Why? Well, and I never, want that story. And never mind the fact that this article that, that I'm going to post talks about the fact that Don Shirley's story is way more fucking complicated and interesting and unique than what this movie depicts. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that they even bring up, we use the Green Book as a prop. The Green Book itself has its own amazing story to tell. Why didn't you make a movie about that? Because that's its own fascinating story. And instead, it's used as a fucking prop for this Vigo Mortensen character to have to use. Every single element in this movie is co-opted for white people to feel better. And the really gross thing is sitting in a theater full of white people who are lapping it up. 
We say that as two white people. Yes. Two very privileged white people. I don't no. I want there to be any pretending about that. We are the <laughs> whitest people in a lot of places. Which is why it's infuriating. Exactly. So it's like I feel dirty. I'm really not happy with this movie, and it should die in a fire. We only saw this for this purpose. Uh-huh. I will tell every single person out there, don't see it. Do not bother. There are so many more interesting, unique stories of full black perspectives that came out this fucking year. If Beale Street Could Talk is out in theaters, go see that. We haven't seen it yet, but we're going to because we really, really want to. And this movie deserves no nominations. I'm just going to say that. We're about to get into our Oscar reactions to the nominations like we did last year. But this film deserves nothing. Nothing. It's garbage. Yeah. Thank you for coming to our complaint talk about <laughs> the Green Book. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.